Ruthless dictators living decadently while their people suffer horribly. Corrupt politicians and greedy businessmen getting richer and richer. Drug dealers, gang members wearing flashy expensive jewelry and driving expensive cars. Hollywood movie stars, rock stars, and other celebrities getting famous and rich despite their decadent, sinful lifestyles. The rioter, the drunken driver, the swindler, the tax cheat, or the murderer who gets off with a slap on the wrist, if they get caught at all. Or the backstabbing, mean employee at work who somehow gets promoted because they have a personal relationship with the owner. Is there no justice in the world? Have you ever asked yourself why it seems like the wicked prosper? perhaps more so than those who are trying to live right? If so, stay tuned. Today's podcast is for you. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we are the hosts of this program. Hello and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. My name is Jeff. I am one of your co-hosts. With me today is Brian. Good morning, Brian. How are you doing? Hey, good morning, Jeff. Certainly uh, look forward to answering this age-old question that we just talked about in the introduction. Yes, indeed. It sometimes feels that the world is just filled with injustices. And, you know, sometimes it can kind of get us down, get us depressed, if you will. You know, if we're trying to do what's right, and we look around and see other people that are not trying to live right. In fact, they're you know obviously living wrong. And everything just seems to be going just fine for them. And in today's podcast, I know we're going to examine this aspect or this concern or situation, if you will, from different angles. But I think one of the things we'll have to be careful about is, is having the right perspective. And we'll be talking about uh, as we go forward. You know, Brian, in some ways it reminds me of a religious song that sometimes people will sing that's called Farther Along. Uh, it's interesting. I went out on the internet. I found some extended lyrics that I didn't realize were above and beyond the normal lyrics like in our songbook that I think in some ways kind of sums up the feelings that many of us may be tempted to have. The lyrics go something like this. Tempted and tried, we're off made to wander why it should be thus all the day long while there are others living about us never molested though in the wrong sometimes i wonder why i must suffer go in the rain the cold and the snow when there are many living in comfort having no heed to all i can do tempted and tried how often we question why we must suffer year after year being accused by those of our loved ones, even though we've walked in God's holy fear. Often when death has taken our loved ones, leaving our home so lone and so drear, then do we wonder why others prosper, living so wicked, year after year. And I think, and of course, there's there's a chorus that we'll talk about you know, yeah, near the end of the podcast that, that starts to kind of answer those questions. But I think that song kind of summarizes where we can be tempted to go, you know, if we don't have the right perspective. Absolutely. And, and it does reflect, uh, as you mentioned, what all of us most likely think about at some point in our life. You know, this is indeed a question that we see going back thousands of years, really. When we look at the Old Testament, we're going to look at some passages of Scripture where people like Habakkuk and Job, 
you know, ask these questions. Of course, we see it also, uh, you know, the justice of God being questioned under the law of Christ. And of course, as we've been talking about, even today, uh, we look at what's going on around us, maybe in the country where you live, there might be unrest, there might be times where you see the wicked prospering. And so you naturally ask, why do the wicked prosper? So let's turn over, if you have a Bible handy, to Job chapter 21. And actually, we're going to kind of set the context first by looking at a few passages in Job chapter 20. But for those of you that are familiar with the story of Job, of course, you know that in Job chapter 1, we see that God allowed Satan to tempt him to prove whether or not he was faithful. Satan was asserting that Job was only faithful to God because God had placed a hedge about him or, you know, set it up so that he had nothing to fear and he was protected and so forth. Of course, God knew the truth. God knew that Job was a faithful man and, and that it had nothing to do with placing a hedge about him. And so we see in a short period of time there in chapter one that Job's sons and daughters were carried away by the Sabaeans. In the process of doing that, they killed his servants. His sheep were burned up. Uh, the Chaldeans came in and took away his camels and killed some other servants. Great wind struck some of his other children's homes and it collapsed and killed the family inside. So that and many other things you can read over there were done to Job. And it just, you can't even imagine how devastating that must have been to Job. Well, we know that the end of the story is that in all this, Job did not sin. Uh, however, in the process of not just going through this great calamity, but even getting boils, for instance, from head to toe. So his own body was stricken with this terrible ailment, if you will. Job had some friends that came along. And, you know, most of the time when you are suffering and are in grief, it's so nice to have friends come along and encourage you. But Jeff, that didn't necessarily happen with these friends, right? No, not at all. In fact, they almost sort of like added insult to injury in terms of uh, his situation. Yeah, yeah. They started questioning, you know, well, Job, obviously you must have sinned if this happened to you and, and so on and so forth. Well, uh, there were times, though, that they did try to offer some words of encouragement or at least, you know, reason with him. And we see that over in Job chapter 20. So if you look in that chapter, beginning in verse 4, do you not know, this is one of his friends speaking, do you not know this of old since man was placed on the earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment? Through his haughtiness mounts up to the heavens and his head reaches to the clouds. Yet he will perish forever like his own refused. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? He will fly away like a dream and not be found. Yes, he will be chased away like a vision of the night. How often is the lamp of the wicked put out? How often does their destruction come upon them? The sorrows God distributes in his anger. So his friend saying, you know, the wicked will be punished and often they are punished very quickly. And, and we do see that, you know, certainly there are many times when we read the Old Testament, where we do see that God brought swift judgment. But if we now go over to Job chapter 21, Job's answers, that's not true. And here's why it's not true. And so Job says in Job 21, beginning in verse 7, Why do the wicked live and become old? Yes, become mighty in power. Their descendants are established with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull 
breeds without failure, their cow calves without miscarriage. They send forth their little ones like a flock and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and harp and rejoice to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. Yet they say to God, depart from us, for we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we have if we pray to him? So, you know, this sentiment from Job is, you know, one many of us share at some point in our lives, as we discussed, especially if we're trying to be faithful to God. Now, as mentioned, you know, we do see in the Old Testament that, that God often pronounced punishment against the wicked. And, you know, Job actually says that, right, that in a moment they can go down to the grave in verse 13. But what he's also saying is often that's not the case. And we also see that today. Often there is not this swift judgment. Many people, many wicked people might live to a ripe old age. And as he points out, are successful in many different ways. Well, you know, we do see in the Old Testament, as I mentioned, that God pronounced punishment sometimes swiftly. And even in the New Testament, you think about Ananias and Sapphira or Herod the king. There were occasions where God brought swift judgment. So we might also wonder, you know, why, as he says in verse 7, why do the wicked live and become old? Why do they become mighty in power? Why are their houses safe from fear and so on and so forth? Well, you know, another key observation here by Job is that because of this, there's this false conclusion that wicked people can draw. And so therefore, they're not interested in hearing the truth because they assume their prosperity and even them concluding that they are being blessed demonstrates that their lifestyle is okay. So, you know, verse 14, yet they say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the almighty that we should serve him? So there can be this false conclusion and it can be frustrating to us because, you know, we want to share the truth of God's word and they might come back to you and say, well, everything's going well in my life. Isn't it obvious that God's blessing me or that God's okay with what I'm doing? Job understood the wicked would be punished because he says in verse 30, for the wicked are reserved for the day of doom. They shall be brought out on the day of wrath. But he was looking for immediate punishment. And we might prefer that as well. But as we're going to see in this study, Jeff will talk about, you know, there are reasons under the law of Christ why there is not immediate punishment. And there are times where there may be punishment by God behind the scenes where, you know, he may choose even today to rise one nation up against another. Yet, we're not aware of it. So we'll get into some of those aspects uh, as we go through this study. Yeah, good points. And even though uh, I think the account of Job was written, you know, thousands of years ago, uh, I think we can still kind of resonate, you know, with some of those messages today. You know, there's also a, another person who's not nearly as famous by the name of Asaph. He wrote some of the Psalms. And I'm reminded of what he wrote in Psalms chapter 73 verses 1 through 14. And in, in some ways, we can kind of resonate with his you know, feelings as well. And he starts off by saying, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more heart. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly. 
concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks throughout the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and the waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, How does God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Well, yeah, there's there's a strong emotional content there too. Like, you know, in this life, you know, if there is a God, if God is just, you know, how come in some cases those who are trying to do right suffer and those who are doing wrong seem to be prospered? And like a lot of times we keep asking the question, well, why? Why is it that way? Definitely. And and I think it's interesting there in verse three, where it even led him to be envious for I was envious of the boastful and when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so we can really quickly get off kilter when we right. start seeing this prosperity and so forth. Yeah. Let's look at one other example. Habakkuk's another one over in Habakkuk chapter one. We see similar questions beginning in verse one here. We see it says, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Very powerful language there. I mean, he's really saying, Lord, I've cried out to you. I've prayed. Why are you not answering the prayer? Well, he was incorrectly concluding that God wasn't listening or answering. You know, what Habakkuk didn't understand in this case is that God was working behind the scenes. And so if we continue on there in Habakkuk 1 down to verses 5 through 11, God answers him and says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told to you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. And he goes on and kind of describes you know, how great and powerful this nation is in verse 8. And in verse 9, they all come for violence. They gather captives like sand. They scoff, verse 10, at kings and princes are scorned by them. So, you know, here's a, a nation. They don't respect God. They're very swift. They're very harsh. They deride every stronghold, as it says there. And then verse 11, then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. So here you have a wicked nation. They also have no respect for God. But God is using them to raise up judgment against these people. And that's something that Habakkuk did not understand. So Jeff, this will be something else we talk about later on in our study. And that is God at times, as part of his plan, are, is, is doing things behind the scenes that we are not aware of. And so, you know, I guess one of the key first lessons we want to think about is we need to be careful that we do not, A, attribute the fact that there isn't swift justice, that God is doing nothing or God is allowing it, but also to respect the fact that God has plans that none of us are aware of. So we should be careful not to make assumptions. Yeah, exactly. You know, and those are all good points. And, you know, speaking of assumptions, there's something kind of um, assumed embedded in the title of our lesson, you know, why do the wicked prosper? 
And the assumption is, well, you know, they're prospering perhaps, you know, specially. And I think one of the things we may want to point out is that all people in many ways benefit from God's goodness. In fact, part of his nature in many ways is revealed in his creation. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, where it says, For he makes his sun, sun in the sky, rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. It doesn't necessarily mean that God is specifically you know, blessing them, but they do benefit from his overall nature of goodness. Uh, we see that uh, similarly, Psalms 145, verse 9, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Acts 14, verse 17 says, men, why are you doing these things? Of course, this is you know, Paul, I think Paul and Barnabas who you know, went into one of the predominantly Gentile towns, performed a miracle, and now they want to start you know, honoring them as gods that have you know, come into the village. It says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food. And gladness. So, you know, first of all, in in the natural creation, we see God's goodness reflected out on all men, just as part of His nature and the nature of His creation. But you know, even more to the point, we see that God is also long suffering and patience, and in some ways allows things to happen that He would rather not happen. But again, because of His nature, you know, it's consistent with His sense of wanting to give people time to repent. Psalms uh, 86 verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and graciousness, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Similarly, Romans 2 verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And finally, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we see you know, a sense of God you know, holding back, holding in abeyance any, you know, some degree of you know, wrath or anger that he might have in order to give all of us all of us, not just those who we classify as wicked, but ourselves as well, because after all, without the grace of God, we would be sinners with unforgiven sin. We would be wicked too. You know, time to repent. The other thing I, I just might add, then I'll, I'll kind of turn over to you for, for comments, is we notice even in Bible times that God does not intervene in every aspect of our life. You know, for the righteous, he doesn't put us in a protective bubble. For the wicked, he doesn't immediately, you know, smite them with you know, lightning out of heaven. And of course, we saw that with, you know, Job and his friends who had this, you know, misunderstanding that, hey, anytime you're being blessed, oh, that's God doing it to you and you're righteous. And anytime, you know, bad things are happening to you, oh, you're wicked and that's God doing that to you. And we see there may be that tendency, but it's not always and it's not a guarantee, right? In fact, there's a lot of Proverbs 
and other scriptures that point to the general tendency of the righteous to prosper in this life and the wicked to not. And I say general. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Sometimes I think we have we have this phrase, and what goes around comes around. And so sometimes the wicked do suffer because of their actions. Matthew 26, 52, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And of course, we kind of see that with, you know, lifestyle choices and friends and companions and, you know, dicey situations that, you know, the wicked get into or that we can get into and start to, you know, even suffer as a result. But, you know, Brian, I think over all of this, there's a concept that, that we sometimes overlook, and that's Ecclesiastes 9.11, and it's called time and chance. And Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to all of them. So there's that aspect as well, as sometimes it's time and chance that the wicked are prospering or the righteous are suffering, etc. So we got several different aspects here of you know God's interaction with humanity. Brian, you want to add some more? Yeah, very good. Appreciate those points and principles because you're right. This can kind of make it complex. And I think it also really illustrates that we don't necessarily know why something is happening or not happening. And so we have to be careful not to jump to the wrong conclusion. God does send the rain on the just and the unjust. God does, as you pointed out in 2 Peter 3, 9, allows time for people to repent. And Jeff, I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, think about how many times under you know, when we read in the Old Testament that God gave men and women and, you know, everyone time to repent. Like, for instance, he rose up several judges throughout time to bring Israel to repentance when he could have just destroyed them for being unfaithful. Think about Nineveh, you know, during the time of Jonah. Jonah did not like the Ninevites at all and didn't even want to give them a chance to repent. He wanted God to destroy them. Well, God said no. We're going to give them the opportunity to repent. And they did repent. They humbled themselves and God spared them as a nation. And so, you know, we see the love of God and we could certainly incorrectly conclude that God doesn't care and God's not judging them when he may in fact be giving them time to repent. And that really reflects the love of God. Definitely. So dovetailing off that a little bit, you know, we see that God is just. So let's take a look, if you have your Bibles handy, at Psalm 73. We'll just turn over there and we'll take a look here at a key statement that kind of helps to illustrate the justice of God. So Psalm 73, beginning in verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you will set them in slippery places. You will ca or you cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation in a moment, or as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you will despise their image. So we know from the sanctuary of God, certainly from the scriptures, what the end will be of those who are wicked. We see also 
in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, where God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. So one principle that we see throughout the scriptures and certainly under the law of Christ that we live today is that there will be a judgment. And we need to realize that the wicked will be cut down and will be cut off. So Jeff, would you be willing to uh, read for us Psalm chapter 37, verses 1 through 10? Sure. So this is a Psalm of David. And if you remember David, at least at certain portions of his life, you know, was trying to do what's right. But King Saul was trying to, you know, do him in, so to speak. I mean, literally, physically kill him, pursuing him from place to place, you know, almost relentlessly uh, trying to make sure that the promises or the prophecies that David would arise to be a king did not come to pass and Saul would be deposed. So here's David. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. So certainly we see in, in the case of David, where again being you know, pursued unjustly by Saul, he had the right attitude and expressed this. I'm certainly certain through the influence of the Holy Spirit to say, you know, don't fret about it. Don't worry about it. Don't be envious because their time will come. Now, admittedly, maybe in this life, maybe not in this life, but certainly in the life to come. You know, Day of judgment, as you were referring to earlier. Yeah, David had such a wonderful attitude. And I'm not sure we can relate to what it would be like to be relentlessly pursued by someone and you know, to the point where you might remember when he played music for Saul and <laughs> Saul was throwing spears at him and, you know, it was just unreal. But as you pointed out, what this, this psalm so eloquently says, we, regardless of what happens, understand that they will be cut down. And I like how he says in verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Verse five, commit your way to the Lord. Verse seven, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. That really has to be our attitude. And we have to believe and know that there will be just judgment from the Lord. You know, we were looking in Job chapter 21 and verse 30 earlier. You know, Job himself said, the wicked are reserved for the day of doom. They shall be brought out on the day of wrath. And so well, we're going to talk a little bit more right at the end before we get into some questions that were submitted about this judgment. So one other thought here, Jeff, and then I'll turn it over to you, and that is, that as I mentioned earlier, you know, we do not know what God is doing behind the scenes. 
And so as we saw in Habakkuk, you know, chapter one, verses five through 11, he might be rising up a nation against another nation. Uh, we see over in first Peter chapter two, beginning in verse 13, it says, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So a couple key principles here, Jeff. One is that, you know, even when we see that maybe the government isn't consistently enforcing the law, we still have an obligation to submit ourselves to the ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And also understand that, you know, once again, that God might be sending some or he might bring uh, judgment from the federal government, for instance, if the local government refuses to enforce the law. So, you know, God might ensure that those the evildoers are still punished. It may just come from somewhere else. And then ultimately, verse 15 also teaches us that by doing good, in essence, we're putting to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And so some good thoughts there from Peter and, and certainly a principle or a few principles that we should keep in mind. Exactly. You know, in, in some ways, going back to the example of David, you know, we might be able to relate perhaps to, as we said when we first started the podcast, you know, someone at work that despite being, you know, unqualified or mean or, you know, trying to greedily climb the corporate ladder of success, you know, they get promoted, they get promoted, they get salary increases, et cetera. And, and we look at that and we go, you know, why there's not much justice there. But in the case of David, if you think of it, you know, he had the supreme ruler of the nation of Israel. He had the, the civil government, if you will, pursuing him. And yet in even that case, you know, he refused to take direct action when he could have to basically assassinate Saul. And I think on more than one occasion, mm -hmm. he said, yeah. no, no, he was chosen by God. We're, you know, God will take care of that. You know, I'm going to do what I you know, believe is, is still right uh, and just. And, you know, I, I think this whole topic of, you know, why the wicked prosper. There's a couple other aspects that we have to be a little careful of. And that's looking at the wicked, looking at, you know, the good that's occurring to them, quote unquote, prosperity. And we could easily get tripped up and get drawn into that. You know, well, how come they're do getting it and we're not? You know, they got the nice car and the good job and lots of money and the trophy wife and you know whatever, and, and we don't. And well, we should too. Well, first of all, we need to recognize that you know this world, quote unquote, is is not our home, and that there's a lot of danger in seeking and striving for what we might call material prosperity or wealth in this life. Now, for example, Jesus gave us the parable of the sower in Luke 8. And part of that parable included, you know, God's word being spread on ground that had a lot of weeds that, that grew up and choked the, the tender plants from producing fruit. Well, it goes on to say that uh, the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. Likewise, Jesus, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? 
and he goes on to emphasize the need to put you know god first put his kingdom first all these other things will be you know added to you brian if you would can you turn over to like first timothy chapter six and read for us uh, verses six through ten yes you bet here it says now godliness with contentment is great gain we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Yeah, so we may in some ways be, you know, envious of the prosperity of the wicked, but that prosperity also has dangers as well, doesn't it, Brian? It definitely does. Absolutely. Well, and speaking about envy, you know, envy and jealousy, you know, that's something we could, you know, easily slip into. And that's not right either. I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 23, verses 17 and 18. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Next chapter, Proverbs 24, various verses, starting with verse 1. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked, for there will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Psalms 37, you know, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and withers the green herb. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. And I think that might have been part of the context you mentioned uh, earlier. You know, the other is one of perspective. You know, if this world is not our home, if we shouldn't be wrapped around material goods, if we shouldn't be envy and jealous, We should be striving for something different, something better, something higher, you know, something eternal. Uh, As we mentioned earlier, Matthew chapter six uh, goes on to say, after talking about, you know, we shouldn't worry about, you know, food and clothing and shelter and such. He goes on to say in Matthew six, beginning with verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul, writing to the Philippians, chapter 3, uh, beginning roughly verse 12, Not that I have already obtained, or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Again, having the proper perspective about things in this life, material possessions in this life, the wicked who seem to prosper in this life, but have a different uh, perspective or goal or mindset, if you will, you know, looking beyond this life, you know, looking to the eternal to include appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. John chapter 5, verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. 
similarly, Holy Spirit through Paul writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And I think that the key takeaway there is justice will be served sooner or later. It may not be served in this life, but it most definitely be served in the afterlife, day of judgment, and for all eternity. Yeah, such a, a wonderful principle there that we must understand, as you pointed out, justice will be served. And, you know, Jeff, as you also mentioned, Paul had such a wonderful attitude and perspective. You know, in 2 Corinthians 4, he talks about his light affliction or their light affliction. And if, you know, if our listeners know anything about Paul, he certainly suffered more than just light affliction, right? He was stoned and left for dead. He spent a day and a night in the ocean and was beaten on many occasions and so on and so forth. Yet he could say in comparison to what we know will happen with this just judgment and hopefully if we are found faithful, eternal life, then anything we go through on this earth is sort of light affliction. So he says in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so just would encourage all of our listeners to have this same attitude that Paul did. And to look at those things that are not seen, to think about the eternal and understand that whatever we're experiencing in this life, even though it may be difficult, even though at times it may seem unfair, ultimately it doesn't compare to that exceeding beautiful place called heaven that we're all striving to get to. Good point. I think in many ways that kind of wraps up sort of the the main part of our you know podcast regarding you know, why the wicked prosper. And typically, as we like to do at this point, we'll transition to talking about uh, questions that have been submitted to the website. Some of these relate to this topic. You know, some are kind of on the periphery, but we'll uh, kind of take that opportunity to do that at this point. Uh, Brian, we got a question here from Clymer, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And they write in asking, if God will not destroy the wicked by means of blood, how will God put the wicked to an end? during the final judgment? Yeah, so good question. Does go along with what we're talking about here. Uh, And so one of the key lessons that the Bible teaches us is that when we die, our soul will leave our physical bodies and be transformed. And so over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 53, it talks about that. And it also, we also learn from Luke chapter 16 in verses 19 through 31, that there is going to be a place where we wait, and it's a place called Hades. So everyone, when we die, we transfer over, if you will, to Hades, which is the realm of the dead. And we will either be in paradise or torments, depending on you know, how we've lived our life and so forth. And then also, as you read earlier, Jeff, you know, we, all, we will all stand before the Lord in judgment, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. And those who are wicked will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. We're told over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. So this righteous judgment 
whenever God chooses to bring about this day of judgment will ultimately be when the wicked is giving their due, if you will. Now, you know, there are some religions like the Jehovah's Witnesses that teach that we will be annihilated when we die, that our souls will be annihilated. Well, the Bible doesn't teach this. God will not put the wicked into an end, and that's the end of it. They, they're no longer, there's no longer any consciousness. They'll be conscious. We certainly see that in Luke chapter 16 with the rich man. He was very conscious. In fact, he wanted to go back and warn his brothers because he knew what would happen to them if they weren't faithful. So there was still consciousness and there was an awareness of everlasting punishment. So, you know, I'll point our listeners to a real good article on our website on hell, which is helpful to kind of describe what happens what the consciousness that we have, the eternal punishment of hell. And, and that can be found by just looking at our alphabetical index, you know, choosing the letter H and then finding that article on hell in that section. Yeah, I find it interesting when he formulated the question, he talked about destroying the wicked by blood. I'm not exactly certain what he had in mind, but my suspicion is, you know, having people be punished, you know, in this life. You know, for instance, you know, Genesis 9 verse 6, where in uh, the Old Testament, God commanded that, you know, if you go out and murder someone, then you should be put to death. And of course, we see that likewise in Romans chapter 13, where it talks about you know, the government not bearing the sword in vain, capital punishment. So yes, we, we do look to governments to avenge, if you will, uh, or do justice to those who commit crime, including you know, murder. But sometimes that doesn't happen. And as you've alluded to here, and as we've said already, yes, sometimes that does not occur in this life, but it will be taken care of ultimately and eternally. I think you have a question for me? Definitely do. And the next question is from somebody who wrote in anonymously or submitted this question to our website anonymously, which is perfectly fine. And they said, I would like to know if the Bible supports biblical prosperity. If yes, please tell me some Bible verses that would support that. Yeah. And like a lot of questions we get to the website, people may use terminology that we may not exactly know where they're coming from. Now, I have heard that there is something called prosperity theology. It's also called the prosperity gospel. I, I looked it up. Here is a quote. Prosperity theology is a religious belief among some Protestant Christians that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them which in some ways kind of goes back to, to Job and his friends saying, well, you know, if you're, if you're righteous, God will automatically prosper you. Now, we certainly know that God has given man the means of gaining wisdom in a number of different realms through the Bible. I mean, certainly we understand that God through the Bible has given mankind, you know, instructions and wisdom. Proverbs 4 verses 1 through 6, you know, come to mind. And that when we follow that biblical wisdom, that God-given wisdom, that we will develop certain traits that, that certainly are conducive to well-being and certainly conducive to you know, the acquisition of material wealth. Proverbs uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 13 through 20 you know, kind of relate to that. Because you know, we'll, be, you know, we'll work hard, we'll be industrious, we'll try not to cheat people, we'll do what's fair, you know, etc., and those things can kind of naturally lead to good, steady job, et cetera. It can be in many cases. But that doesn't mean that all who follow 
uh, will be rich. I mean, certainly we can see that going back to, as you said, Luke chapter 16 with Lazarus, who was by no means rich by any measure, and yet he was counted as being righteous. And in some ways, the rich are often condemned. I mean, not necessarily because they have wealth, but because often of their self-sufficient attitude or pride or haughtiness or stinginess, James chapter 5. Now, certainly God wants you know his people to have means, monetary possessions, to contribute to needy saints, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, to take care of their own, 1 Timothy 5, to assist others. Uh, when they have the means, the opportunity to do so. Several verses for that to include Ephesians 4, verse 28. And so to do all this, you have to have you know, some degree of, of wealth and material prosperity. So in, in some ways, yes, the Bible does support, to a degree, you know, faithful people you know, having some degree of you know, prosperity, but it certainly does not support the inordinate acquisition of wealth or the emphasis on wealth or that God will always make us rich just because we follow him, almost like a bribe, which is, if you think back, that's exactly what Satan accused God of. Oh, yes, Job is worshiping you. Job is faithful because you've bribed him to do that. You've blessed him. And so when it comes down to wealth, it really comes down to how we use it, what value, relative value we place on it, and not placing too much value on it. That's the important thing. Yes, absolutely. Appreciate all those good principles and, and passages because, you know, riches and certainly the desire for riches is fraught with peril. But as you pointed out, it doesn't have to be that way. It really does come down to to our attitude. So I guess we have a couple more questions, Jeff. Yes, we do. So Carla writes in and asks, is there scripture about the devil giving blessings that are not from God? I thought that's an interesting question. Yeah, it's one I had never thought of prior to getting it. But, you know, people hear things or maybe they just wonder. And, and so, you know, the key is no, that the devil does not bless us because he is evil and he is not interested in good. And we know that because Jesus said of the devil in John chapter 8 and verse 44 that he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. In fact, Peter also says of the devil in 1 Peter 5, 8, that he is like a roaring lion who walks about seeking whom he may devour. So the devil is trying to devour us. The devil is trying to get us to sin through temptation, uh, certainly not interested in blessing us. And, you know, we're also told in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, that he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And then the key here is for this purpose. It says, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So it's God is the one who ble that blesses us as our creator and the one that loves us so much. Certainly not the devil. In fact, he's doing the opposite. So I'd like to point our listeners to an article on our website entitled God's Blessings, which is really helpful in understanding everything about God's blessings. So that's one you can find on our site as well. And we'll have a few more references at the end. Indeed. Yeah, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, it might appear that the devil blesses people. I mean, for instance, if you think of, you know, organized crime or if you think of drug dealers or, you know, those kind of situations where people are basically doing the will of Satan and it seems like they are being blessed. 
right, with material possessions and, you know, houses and lands and whatever. But those aren't really true blessings, if, if you understand the term, in terms of, yeah, it looks like they're being blessed, but in many ways, bottom line, they're not. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that out because we saw that in Job, right? And we saw that in some of the passages where there's this questioning, you know, hey, they continue to live a great life and prosper. And so you're exactly right. We could easily conclude that that equates to they're being blessed. In those cases, you know, some were thinking God was blessing them. Of course, as you pointed out, certainly they could believe that that Satan. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think we got one more question. One more question. Yeah, this one comes from Dwayne, and he asks, do witches suffer any consequences in this life when they go about cursing people and consciously doing the will of Satan to kill or steal and destroy? What do you think about that one? Um, you know, it's a good question. I mean, certainly on one hand, as we've already mentioned earlier, we understand from the scriptures that God is long-suffering. And gives people, you know, abundant opportunities to experience his blessings, to come to their senses, repent, and be saved. And there's a number of different verses we could quote for that. And likewise, we understand that, you know, also time and chance, you know, happens to all, as we noted in Ecclesiastes. And yet, when you dig a little bit deeper, and I kind of alluded to this in my comments about the wicked seemingly to prosper with blessings, quote unquote blessings, that sin does have frequently consequences in this life. If you dig deeper, if you're able to probe deeper into the lives of some of the people that are quote unquote wicked that seem to be prospering, you might find out really that it isn't all quote unquote sunshine and happiness for them. For example, uh, there's a lot of consequences in this life for those who seemingly prosper and yet are wicked. For instance, for those who are, you know, womanizers or fornicators or adulterers and have, quote unquote, the you know blessings of abundant women, so to speak. Well, the other side of that, sexually transmitted diseases, unwanted pregnancies, destroyed marriages, destroyed reputations, for example. Think in terms of gamblers who, you know, acquire wealth and they seem to be seem to prosper, you know, through their gambling. And yet again, destroyed marriages, broken homes, financial hardship. For those who, you know, are celebrating, you know, the high life and, and prospering through parties and drinking and drugs, etc. Car accidents, fights at the bar, Destroyed marriages, uh, liver disease. I mean, you know, the list just kind of goes on and on. For smokers, emphysema, lung cancer, et cetera. For the drug abuser, you know, physical, financial, emotional suffering. For the criminal, yes, indeed. Sometimes in this life, fines, jail time, sometimes truly occasional capital punishment. You know, with gang members, organized crime, you know, torture, death, them killing each other, et cetera. And even for, you know, government dictators and despots, you know, political uprisings and assassinations, et cetera. So in general, we think in terms of, well, how come the wicked are prospering? But sometimes if you dig deeper, you'll find that they may not be prospering as much as you think they are prospering. And there's a lot of pain, anguish, turmoil, even in their lives in the background, which we may know about, we may read about, et cetera, or we may not. So anyway... In some ways, are there consequences in this life for doing wicked things? Yes, 
Sometimes there are. Sometimes they're very severe. Sometimes they're not. And again, that leads us back to the attitudes that we still need to have regardless of what happens in this life. Yes, that's such a key point. You know, we see over in Galatians chapter six, you know, beginning in verse seven, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And because that's true, we're then told in verse nine, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And then he finishes up by saying in verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So appreciate you bringing that up, Jeff, because ultimately it can be easy to get weary when we feel like the wicked are prospering. But whether it's in this life, as you just pointed out, often people will immediately reap what they've sown. And if not in this life, then we certainly know that it will happen in the judgment to come. Yeah, I'm kind of reminded of the song we mentioned at the very beginning of our podcast. Now, when I was walking through the lyrics, I left out the two final stanzas and I left out the uh, chorus. So at this point, I think I'd like to introduce those because I think in some ways they kind of summarize, if you will, everything we've been talking about. First of all, the chorus that gets repeated after every verse. Farther along, we'll know more about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. Then the final two verses. Faithful till death, said our loving master. Short is our time to labor and wait. Then will our toiling seem to be nothing when we pass the heavenly gate. Soon we will see our dear loving Savior hear the last trumpet sound through the sky. Then we will meet those gone on before us. Then we shall know and understand why. Very beautiful song. It definitely is. And it does give us perspective. And, you know, whenever we're in worship and we're singing songs like this, it's edifying. It's encouraging. And in fact, at the very end of this podcast, Jeff, we talked about inserting this actual song. We have a recording of it being sung and sung in acapella. And, and we'll insert this because it, it is very encouraging. And so for our listeners, We'd also like to encourage you to, you know, continue studying as we always encourage you to do. And we can help with that through some articles on our website and ultimately, you know, through God's word is what we want you to study. But if you look under the topics menu on our website, you can find subjects related to um, envy, for instance, under the letter E. The book of Ecclesiastes is in that same section. G for greed, J for judgment. And for the nature of God, and then, and also uh, for the nature of man, talking about you know free will, free moral agency, and then ultimately we have a section called the steps to salvation. It's so very important to understand how we can put ourselves in a position to go to heaven, and that can only be done when we follow those steps to salvation. So, uh, Jeff, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Nope, I think we uh, covered as many aspects as we could. Certainly encourage our listeners to go to the website, read the material, study the scriptures for yourselves. Don't just take our word for it. Tempted and tried, we're all made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. While there are Never more
first and why. Cheer up, my brother, live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. When death has come and taken our loved ones, it leaves our home so lonely and drear. Then do we wonder why others prosper, living so wicked year after year. Farther along we'll know all about it. Farther along we'll understand why. Cheer up my brother, live in the sun. We'll understand it all by and by. Faithful till death said our loving master, a few more days to labor and wait. Tolls of the road will then seem as nothing as we sweep through the Farther along we'll know all about it. Farther along we'll understand why. Cheer up my brother, live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. When we see Jesus coming in glory, when he comes from his home in the sky, then we shall meet him in that prevention. We'll understand it all by and by. Farther Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, BibleQuestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.